my message today is called Passing the Test. And uh, I'm going to be talking to you today about, about being tested. And I, I just thought I'd start by just asking a question. Is anybody in here, uh, you feel like you're a good test taker? When you were in school, you were a pretty good test taker. Yeah, there's some. There's a few. Um, you know, that's actually how I got through school. I was actually pretty good at taking tests. I wasn't real good at listening, but I was good at taking tests. And uh, I, had, I kind of honed in this art of kind of cramming at the end, right there before the test. And I was able to get the information I needed. And, uh, and I, it stayed in me until I took the test, and then 10 minutes later it was gone. But uh, I got through school that way. Kids don't go to school that way. That's not the way to do it, okay? Uh, but it, it seemed to work. I, I know that testing as a whole isn't necessarily a good thing. We don't, we don't love tests, right? Because it, it, uh, it usually can breed, breed some anxiety in us and some worry and some, some stress. Uh, in fact, I can tell you that um, I, I drive my kids to school. I got two middle schoolers and a high schooler. Well, actually, now I have one middle schooler and two high schoolers. But uh, driving to school, I could always tell the days they were going to have a test because the, the mood in the car just wasn't quite as good. You know, there's always a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress, and, and inevitably there was always a test coming up. And, uh, you know, because testing is like in a school-type situation, a classroom, tests kind of show where you're at. It shows where you are and, and what you've learned. It, it reveals kind of uh, where you're at in, in, that, in whatever you're trying to learn at that point. Uh, in fact, you know, you can have an A in a class before there's any test given without really knowing anything. You know, if you, go, if you just show up and turn in your homework, you can have an A. And you may not know anything about what you're studying. It's when that test comes is when you realize uh, where you're at and what you really know. It reveals what's going on inside of us and what we know. And uh, uh, God tests us too. Amen? Uh, we don't, I don't get an amen, big amen from that. God tests us too. Amen. amen. All right, a few of you. Um, like I said, we don't love getting tests, but, but God does it. And, and the great thing about when God tests us is that his purpose is when he tests us. He's always very intentional. And so God doesn't do anything in our life that's not for a reason. And when he tests us, there, it's... it's there's a purpose to it that he's trying to make us more like him. He's trying to set us up for success. And that's what the testing does. In fact, I'm going to read. I have three verses that I'm going to start off with this morning. I, I couldn't decide on one. So, uh, so I'm going to give you three. And uh, they're all, two of them are out of the Old Testament. One's out of the New. The first one is from Psalms 11:5, And this is King David speaking. He says, the Lord tests the righteous. Okay. The next one is from Proverbs 17:3. This is King Solomon. This is David's son also considered to be the, the wisest man to ever live. It says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And then finally, from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians 2, the second part of chapter, uh, verse 4, he says, We are not trying to please man, but God, who tests our hearts. So you see a theme here. According to these three verses, who tests us? The Lord does. God tests us. And, uh, and for some of us, that, that may rock our, our theology a little bit to think that God actually puts us through tests. But he does. And, and hopefully today, I hope this is a blessing to you um, as, as I go through this today, that you'll see that, that the purpose that God tests us for is, is a good thing. And, it, and uh, it's, it's imperative upon us to respond well because God's using it to build us and grow us and, and make us more like him and to bring himself glory. Uh, the, the one thing I want to make mention of before I go any further is that when God tests us, a lot of times we fail. I've failed tests that, I, that were from God in my life, and a lot of times I didn't even realize it was a test until later, and by then it was too late. I'd already failed it. The beauty of, of when we fail tests that God brings us, he does not condemn us. He does not judge us. He does not beat us up. He doesn't browbeat us. He doesn't say, oh, you silly little disciple of mine, you failed this test, and now I'm going to turn my back on you. That's the complete opposite of who our God is. Amen? There's a, there's a grace there. for if, if there's grace for salvation, there's grace for failed tests. 
and he pours it out on us and he has an abundance of it. He can never, we can never use up his grace for all the, for all the mistakes and the shortcomings we have in life. There's that much more grace to carry us through all of those times. So he never condemns. You may have had teachers that have condemned you and made you feel dumb when you didn't do good on a test or maybe even your parents. Your parents were really, really trying to push you academically. And when you would bring home a test score that was low, they'd, they'd kind of get on your case and give you a hard time. That, that's not how our God is. He does, he does never ever test us to condemn us or to beat us down. It's always to lift us up and to encourage us. And uh, I wanna read a, another verse that gonna, it kind of shows what's in it for us and what's in it for God, the, the, the whole idea of testing. And it's in First Peter, verses six and seven. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this verse shows us why, when God tests us, what's in it for us and what's in it for him. What's in it for us in this is that he's testing the genuineness of our faith. It's so that the genuineness of our faith can be found. So basically, in other words, it's so we can see where we are in our walk with God. God tests us to reveal to us where we are in our walk with him based on how we respond to it. And that's how a test, any kind of test works in school, anywhere. When you take a test, you're not actually learning during the test. You're not growing during that test. The test is a tool that is used to show you where, what you've already learned and how you've already grown. And, and if we don't pass that test, it, it, it can show us there's areas where there needs to be concern, areas where we can make improvements, areas where we may be excelling. Those tests reveal What's going on? I, I, I made a comment earlier in the, in the first service that testing doesn't, the testing of God doesn't produce character in us. It reveals it. And sometimes it reveals a lack of character in us. We're all guilty of that at times too, aren't we? But that's what's in it for us is that we, so that we can see, it's kind of a mirror so that we can see where we are in our walk with him and how far we've come. The second, the second part is what's in it for God in this. And in that verse, it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is in the business of glorifying himself. Amen? He is in the business of glorifying himself. That, that is everything he does, even in our life, it's to bless us, but, but the, the number one priority of our God is to bring himself glory. He's in the business of glorifying himself and his testing, when he tests us, the ultimate goal for that is for us to see where we, at our, where we are in our faith and it's for him to receive glory and honor and all of that good stuff that he wants. <laughs> and that's, that's God's motive for testing us, for him, for his sake. Because he doesn't need to test us so he can see where we're at in our faith because he knows. Amen. He's, he's all knowing. He knows all where we are and, what, and where our heart is and what we're doing. I'm going to share a few verses here, stories in the word that show kind of uh, how God's exposing uh, where we are in our walk with other people. But God is always trying to glorify himself and he's working in that to make us more like him. He's always working to make us more like everything he does in our life. Every test you go through is always to make you more like him. And unfortunately for us, sometimes we, we don't recognize it. And so we, we could sit and we can kind of pout, you know, like when my kids are on the way to school and they have a test that day, sometimes they're pouting and saying, oh, I don't know why we have to take tests. Tests are dumb, you know, but we as, as a mature adult Christians can act that way when God tests us. Why is God testing me? I don't need this. Why can't he just give me what I need? I've been praying for this thing to be fixed and he's not doing it. Why doesn't he? And we can pout just like children do when it comes to taking tests in a classroom. Uh, I remember a test one time, probably the test I remember the most in my life was, I believe I was a sophomore in high school 
and it was English, and I was sitting behind this one kid was in the front, and I was in the, the desk right behind him. And him and I were friends, but I wanted to be better friends because he was more popular than me. And uh, I, I know I'm 44 now, that sounds so juvenile, but hey, we also come to peer pressure sometimes, right? And I wanted to be more popular, and so I wanted to be closer to him and wanted to be his friend. And, and uh, one day we had a test in English, and it was, we knew it was going to be a multiple choice test. And he hadn't studied for whatever reason, I don't know what happened. But he looked at me before the test, he said, hey man, I need you to help me today. And I said, what do you need? He said, I want you to help me with this test. He's like, listen, whatever, when we're on the first question, he's like, whatever the answer is, just tap my, my chair with your foot once for A, twice for B, and so on. I was like, man, you're crazy. And I'm sitting in there going, man, this is, this is quite a crossroads I'm at here. Integrity, popularity, you know, I chose popularity. And uh, so I helped him and I did that. And I, the whole time I was like, man, I'm gonna get caught. Every time I tap his chair, I look at the teacher and see if she's catching on to what I was doing. She didn't catch on or either that or she didn't care because we got away with it. And I remember that night feeling so bad, thinking, I can't believe I did that. You know, it was just really lame of me to succumb to. I was kind of my own, I was pretty independent even as a sophomore. I didn't really let the peer pressure get to me a whole lot. And I felt bad, but, but I felt a lot worse the next day when we got the results back. And I think we both got C minuses. So, <laughs> but hey, I guess it was better than an F for him, right? Amen. Uh, but that was a failed test that I had when I hit that crossroad. I failed that test miserably in more ways than one. And, uh, but thank God for his grace. Amen. So I, I want to I show you real quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to show you the difference between testing, trials, and, and temptation. Because in the word of God, it, it can be very confusing of what we're going through, whether or not it's a test or if it's a trial or if it's temptation. It can, it can f- confuse us. And so I did a study on this. And, um, and frankly, some of these times in the, in the word, the original text, these w- test, trial, temptation can be the same word. So you really have to look at it contextually to see, and I'm not that good at studying, so I let somebody else do the studying, and I kind of read up on their stuff, and so that's what I want to show you today. Um, and I want to start with temptation. Now, we all know what temptation is when we feel tempted to do something we don't want to do. Uh, but temptation is always originate and are executed by and from the enemy or our flesh. Temptation is always from the enemy. We need, you need to understand that today. Temptation, God never tempts us. He never tries to tempt us because temptation is always something to draw us away from God. It's always drawing us to sin, to give in to something. A biblical example, that would be Eve in the garden. You know, that, Satan came to her as a serpent and tempted her to eat the fruit. She failed that test and ate that fruit. That was originated and executed by the enemy. Okay, that's, that's what temptation is every time. But God cannot tempt us. And, and I've heard people say before, like, God's tempting me in this and this or whatever. God absolutely cannot tempt you. In fact, in James 1, it says in verses 13 and 14, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So that's, that's where temptation comes from. It's from our flesh, which is ultimately from the enemy. It's the nature of sin. So temptation is always, always from the enemy. I think uh, a practical aspect of temptation would be lust. You know, whether it's lusting over the opposite sex or if it's lusting for money or power or fame, whatever it is, that desire, that lust, that's a temptation that's in us. It's always originated from the enemy. It's always executed by our flesh and the enemy working through us, trying to cause us to want something selfishly and to, and to go after whatever that is. That's, that's an example of temptation in our lives. And it never, ever comes from God. No way will that ever, God will never put, uh, if you struggle with, uh, you know, sexual lust, God's never going to put you in front of a situation where you're going to have to struggle with that. That's never him. He doesn't do that. It's always going to be the enemy. Okay. And the next one is our trials. Now trials are a little tricky because these are instances that are actually brought on by the enemy 
but they're allowed by God, okay? Things that we don't always understand sometimes. I, I think, when I think of a trial, I think, when you think of like traumatic things that happen in life that, that don't really make any sense, those are things I would consider a trial, where the enemy has actually brought it upon you, but God allowed it. And now, you know, nothing happens without God allowing it, amen? And we don't always understand why God allows it. That's, it's not for us to always understand. The fact of the matter is he just wants us to trust him through it and be able to be willing to look to him and trust him even when we go through trials. Biblical examples of trials would be like Job. Job went through a trial because the enemy, Satan did those things to Job. He actually asked God for permission to do it and he did it. And it was originated by the enemy. God allowed it and the enemy executed it. Uh, Joseph is another example of trials. You know, Joseph went through a lot of stuff. That was all the enemy. That wasn't God that did that. Now God worked it out in the end for Job and Joseph in a pretty powerful, miraculous way. And that's the beauty of trials is that God's always working to, to help us win in the end, to help, us, to help us get that victory that he wants us to have. Um, I think of, of things that in the practical, natural realm that, that are trials in our life. Sometimes it, it could be like a disease, like cancer can be a trial. It's something that comes from the enemy, but God allows it. And you need to know, we all need to know that any, time, any disease that we may be dealing with in our personal body or in our loved one's body, that never originates from God. Never, never, never. Now, we know it's obvious that God allows it or it would never happen. We don't understand why he allows it completely, but we can trust him in that, right? But trials are always, those are things that always come from the enemy in our life to bring trials. But the the beauty of those trials is that God always has a plan to give us victory at the end. And then finally, which is the one we're talking about today, is tests. Tests originate from God and are designed to reveal where we are on our journey of faith. So temptation comes from the enemy executed by the enemy. Trials come from the enemy, allowed by God. Tests are the only, the only tough thing, I would say, in life that comes in our, in our path that actually God ordains. God ordains the tests that we go through in life. Uh, a great biblical example of that is Genesis 22, where God tested Mo, uh, Abraham to sacrifice his only son. It, in fact, it says the beginning of Genesis 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And then it goes into the story of him testing him uh, about sacrificing his son. That was something that originated from God. It was a test. It wasn't a traumatic event. I mean, it would have been if God didn't come through and keep him from sacrificing his son. But what God does, is he, he's testing Abraham because it was showing him where he was on his journey of faith. It, it showed that Abraham was at a really, he was at a good place. He was willing to trust God because God told him to do something as a test and he didn't even hesitate. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up and went up to Mount Moriah. Those, that's, those are things that, that God would test us in. I, one practical example of God testing us, I believe, is in tithing. Okay? We, don't, we don't talk a lot about giving money and, and tithing and, and bringing money into the storehouse. Uh, we do talk about it here some because we believe it's a biblical principle. We believe it's, it's where the blessing of God on our finances comes from. But that's an area of testing where God tests us. He says, tithe, give the 10% back to me. That's a difficult thing for us to do because we like to hang on to our money. Right? I mean, Uncle Sam already gets his hand in our pocket. The state gets their hand in our pocket. The city gets their hand in our pocket or the county. And so we, we like to hang on to what we have, especially if we're overextended. But God says, I'm testing you. You can trust me in this. If you will t- trust me and tithe and give, you will see the blessings of, of myself on your finances. But that's a test that God puts us through that we all go through as believers because he calls all of us to it. And as a side note, I've looked through the whole I've looked through the Bible. I've, I've done everything I know to do to look for areas where we can test God. This is the only area where God actually says, test me, is in giving. He actually tells us, test me. He says in Malachi 3.10, he says, test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates so that your storehouses will not be able to contain the blessing. 
It's the only place that God tells us that we can test him. So when God tests you, you go ahead and test him. The, the, the thing about us testing him is that it still requires us to give. So uh, he wins no matter what. So that's a great test for God. Amen. Um, but that is the area where God allows us to test him. So to, to, cap, up, to cap off those three words, uh, I would say to you that temptation is from Satan and it is designed to destroy you or bring out the worst in you. And testing is from God and it's designed to bring out the best in you. And so if you're going through a test today and, and, you know, we have to figure out what we're going through. If it's something that is happening because of bad decisions we've made or if it's because we're being tempted or if it's something that God is ordaining in our life to test us, to show us where we are on our journey of faith with him. And if we, if we know we're going through a test, then there's some really great protocols, some good answers for us in how we can proceed with that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that now. I'm going to talk about uh, past, taking the test. And I'm going to give a couple biblical examples quickly of people that, that were tested in the Bible. The first one is Philip. He was uh, one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, I'm just going to read the, the verse. It, it explains itself. It's in John 6, 5 and 6. It says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked him this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So here's Jesus seeing these people and wanting to feed them. This is the story where he feeds the 5,000 with the, with the five loaves and the two fish. And Jesus already knowing what he was going to do, decided to test Philip. And he said, Philip, what are we going to do? How are we going to get food for all these people? Because he wanted to see where Philip was on his, or he wanted Philip to see his heart and where he was on his journey with faith. And Philip responded to this test within the very next verse. Verse seven, it says, Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Ooh, Philip, I'm sorry, you failed that test. That was the wrong answer. Because <laughs> we know what happened. Jesus multiplied the food and everybody ate. Philip failed that test. And this is a small test, a short one, but the, the beauty of this is that Jesus did not condemn him. Jesus didn't say, Philip, you dummy. How long do you have to be around me before you're going to see that I can do anything? He didn't berate him. He didn't beat him over the head. In fact, I'm pretty sure Philip probably stood back and saw what happened and, and his faith probably erupted by, by witnessing what Jesus did in that situation. Even though he failed that test, I bet you he didn't fail it the next time. It, he's not mentioned in the, 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 the couple chapters later where Jesus feeds 4,000. But I promise you, he didn't say, Jesus, I don't know what we're going to do. You better figure something out. It, build, it did build his faith. And so I, I, for, for Philip, we, he saw where he was on his journey of faith. He saw the genuineness of his faith in that situation. The next one is the Syrophoenician woman. That's a long word. And it's in Mark 7, 24. And, and let me just say, uh, this one was a Gentile. And Jews did not associate with Gentiles. In fact, sometimes they even felt they were unclean to even be close to a Gentile. There was a big cultural divide here um, that, that was very common in that culture. So you can understand that as I read this, this passage in 24 to 30. It says, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him... A woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now here's, here's the test. Here's Jesus' test for this woman. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. The genuineness of this woman's faith was revealed through this test. 
And she passed with flying colors. She got, she got her daughter healed, delivered from a demon because of her response to this test that Jesus gave her. Now we need to understand that Jesus comparing, making a comparison with the dog, this was not an insult. Okay, a, a cursory reading of this makes it look like, man, Jesus was really hard on her talking about dogs. But he was, he was doing this because of the separation between Gentiles and Jews at that time. Culturally, it was a way to make her understand what he was there for. It wasn't to insult her. She was not insulted. If she was insulted, she obviously probably would have responded in, a, in the such, but she was not. And so because of her response, it showed where she was in her walk. And consequently, her, her daughter was healed and she passed that test. Okay. And then the last one is Moses. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time on Moses and kind of use this story to talk about uh, passing the tests that God brings in our lives. So Pretty much most of you know the story of Moses and how he, del- he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They had been captive in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. God delivered them miraculously, uh, you know, had the 10 plagues on Egypt. And finally, after the last plague where, they kill- where the angel of death killed the firstborn, uh, they, he, the Pharaoh released them and let them go. And they went out into the wilderness and God had them camp at the edge of the Red Sea. And this is obviously setting up for God parting the Red Sea for them to go through. But they're camped at the edge of the Red Sea. And the Egyptians see this, and it actually looked like the, the Israelites had been wandering a little bit, so they thought they were confused. And so the Egyptian pharaoh said, hey, we've let these guys go. We should have never let them go. We had free labor with them. We need to go back and get them, bring them back. And so they decided to pursue them. And the Israelites noticed, saw that the Egyptians were coming, and they knew they were no match against them. Uh, and so they were really terrified and scared. In fact, it says that the, uh, the, the children of Israel went to Moses and made one of the most sarcastic comments in all the Bible. I think it's hilarious. They said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the desert to die? And uh, which the irony of that is funny because Egypt was known for being a, having a lot of graves. They, they dedicated a lot of land for graves. So they were really being sarcastic with Moses. And, uh, and Moses' response is very key here. It's in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Powerful word. The Lord told them to stay put and they would see his deliverance. That was the test to see if they would do it. And, and you know the story. They did. God, op- God opened the Red Sea for them. They went through. The Egyptians followed. The Red Sea closed up on them. And the Bible says not one of them survived. So the Israelites passed the test that God was giving them there to, to camp there and to stay and see the deliverance that the Lord would bring them. And it was a beautiful moment. And we know the story. I mean, the, the nation of Israel is still a thing today and more powerful than ever. And, and it was because of their obedience at that day, at that time. Um, and so what I want to do is kind of bounce off of that and, and catapult off of that to give you my next point, which is about passing the test. Okay. I, I believe there's principles we can use in our life and we know God is testing us. There's things we can do to pass the test. There's no exact blueprint for it. And every situation is different, but I have four things that I, that I want to show you that I think are, are key to passing the test. And the first one is that sometimes we just have to stand still. That verse that I just read, God told the children of Israel, stand still and you're going to see my deliverance today. Sometimes we have to stand still. Now this goes against all logic. When we're being tested, for most of us, the, the natural reaction is to want to do something to fix it. You know, we want to make this happen. We want to, we'll pray for a minute, but if God doesn't do what we want him to do pretty quickly, we're going to do what we want. But sometimes he says, I just want you to stand still. The, the, the most, one of the most powerful things about this, this passage with Moses in Exodus 14 that really jumped out at me as I was reading it last week is that Moses did not know that God was going to part the Red Sea. 
All he said to Moses was, stand still. You're going to see my deliverance today. So he didn't know. He, he's sitting there at the edge of the Red Sea, and I'm sure he's thinking, okay, well, however this is going to happen, I don't know, but it's going to be a miracle. He did not know that he was going to part the sea. In fact, he, he found out right when he did it. God said, raise your staff, put it over the sea, and it'll part. That's when he knew. And so he didn't know either. So standing still didn't make sense to Moses. We knew the end of the story because we've read it a hundred times. But if you don't know the end, if you're in that situation, that would be a tough thing to do to just stand still and trust God in that. But it doesn't always make sense. The, the second thing that we have to do sometimes is sometimes we have to fight. You know, uh, in fact, three, I think three chapters later, I think it's in Exodus 17, the children of Israel come up on the Amalekites. So they just got this victory with the Red Sea and the, the Egyptians. And three chapters later, the Amalekites are, are coming at them. And God actually tells Moses in this time to fight them. And this is a story, you probably know this, and Moses is up on the hill overlooking the fight. And uh, it said as, as long as his arms were up, the Israelites were winning. And when his arms would get tired and he'd have to rest, they'd start losing. And so Aaron and Hur actually came and each held up an arm. And as long as they did that, the Israelites were winning and they finally won the battle and they defeated the Amalekites. So that, that was a test that was a completely different response from God than the one prior. The last time they're supposed to stand still. What if they, what if they said, well, God told us last time to stand still, so we're just going to stand still. The Amalekites would have came and chopped them to pieces. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's, no, there's no great textbook here that tells us exactly what to do. We have to understand God's heart in each and every test that he's doing in our life and what our situation is. In this case, he told them to fight. Okay, now let me, let me just be clear that when we fight, when I'm talking about fighting, I'm not talking about like, you know, fist fighting. If you're, having a, if you're being tested by your boss at work and God, you feel like, oh, God's telling me to fight. Don't challenge him to a duel in the parking lot, you know? We, uh, we fight with our faith, amen? We fight, we fight with our faith on the inside and, and we do whatever God tells us to do, but I don't think it's gonna include physical violence. Just, just putting that out there and making that clear, but, but sometimes we are called to fight. Um, so sometimes we stand still, sometimes we fight. Something we always do is the third one, we always trust. Always, always trust God in every test that he's, that he's bringing us in and through because we can trust his goodness and who he is. Uh, you know, last week we sang a song uh, that I just, man, there was a line in that song that just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's that, uh, it is well. It's kind of, it kind of takes that old hymn and, and mixes it with some other stuff. And there's a line in it where it says, so, so say something about something, my soul be still um, and trust his name. The winds and waves still know his name. The wind and waves still know the name of Jesus. We can trust him because the wind and the waves, creation, still know Jesus. His name is just as powerful today as it was when he was in that boat and he told the wind and the waves to quiet down and they did. We can trust him because of who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust that his motives for us are always good. He's always trying to make us more like him and draw us closer to him. He never puts tests in our lives just to expose us or show us our weaknesses. But when, we're, when he's testing us, we can know that the end is gonna be better than the beginning. But we have to be willing to, to trust him through all of it. It's so important that we trust him because if we don't, if we don't trust God, there's traps that we will end up walking into. And as, as, as one of these, um, as we're talking about the trusting him, I've got a few little things I want to talk about what, when we don't trust him to kind of give a little sidebar here, because when we, when we don't trust him, it sets traps in our lives. And one of the traps can be despair. Okay, we can get into despair if we're not trusting him. And if you look at the children of Israel and them being at the edge of the Red Sea, if they had gotten in despair, there's a good chance they would have surrendered to the Egyptians. They would have probably just said, you know what? It's not worth it. We're going to give up. We'll just surrender to them. We'll go back to slavery. And we'll, at least the, there we were being fed and we didn't have to worry about uh, some of the things we're having to worry about now. Despair is a really slippery slope for us, church. 
And uh, the, the lie that's in our head when we're in despair is that nothing's ever going to get any better. If you find yourself saying that sometimes based on your situation at work or even in your own physical body or your finances or your friendships or your church, and you just feel like nothing's ever going to get any better, that's despair creeping up on you. And when we get into despair, we're not trusting God at all. And we start making decisions that could be detrimental. We could end up surrendering to the Egyptians in our life. And that's not God's plan or his call for any one of us. So we have to be careful to trust him because if we don't, we can, we can give up and be in despair. The, the second one is fear. Fear will cause you to retreat. Like if the, if the Israelites were in fear and not trusting God, they would have probably just taken off and ran up the bank of the Red Sea and tried to get away, which would have been futile because there's no way they could have outran the Egyptians. They had chariots and horses and the children of Israel had their families, their kids, everything. But fear causes you to make decisions that aren't rational. Anybody ever reacted in fear and done something really ridiculous? I think every one of us would say we've done that. Fear causes us to lose all rationale and we respond in a way that's, that's actually going to hurt us. Fear says you can't win and it'll cause you to hide from your problems. So we, we, if we don't trust God, we have a tendency to get into fear. The third one is presumption. If we don't trust God, we can get in presumption. Now, if the children of Israel got in presumption, they would have probably turned and tried to attack the Egyptians. Because after all, God said he was going to deliver us today. And if he's going to deliver us, that means we must have to kill these guys because they're not going to stop pursuing us. So they would have tried to attack and they would have lost miserably because they were not equipped to fight against the Egyptians. But that's what presumption will do. It will cause us to make decisions. It's, presumption is all about based on what's logical, what makes sense to me, you know. And, and even though that's an okay question to ask in a situation, a test that God's putting in our life, it's not the God. It's not the thing that we always base all of, our, all of what we do on. Okay. There's a place for logic. I'm a very logical person. I think overly logical sometimes. I need to lean sometimes more on just trusting God and doing something that may not make sense. But that logic cannot be, presumption cannot be the place that we, let, that we rest our head. If, if Abraham had used logic, well, he, Abraham used logic when God told him that he was going to be the father of nations. He, he got into presumption at that time. He said, oh, well, if, the only way that's going to happen is if I impregnate my wife's maidservant. And Ishmael was created out of that. That's what happens when we don't trust God and we just presume. Now, praise God, Abraham learned his lesson because the next time he was tested was with Isaac and he passed that test. But that's what presumption does to us. And then finally, the fourth one is impatience. Ooh, this one gets all up in our craw. Because impatience is something that, that we deal with a lot. And when we're not trusting God, it'll cause us to lose patience. It'll cause us to be impatient. I think the manifestation of that with the children of Israel would have been, they probably would have just jumped in the Red Sea and tried to swim across. Like, I know God's going to get us through this Red Sea somehow, and I'm not going to wait. Let's just jump in and swim. And that would have been disastrous. And uh, the, what, what, question, what, what impatience says in our head is that I'll do this myself. See, we don't want to wait on God. Wait, do a sermon on waiting on God, you'll have, you get a pin drop. Because we don't like to wait, especially Americans. Amen? If you're here and you're an American... You've got everything in the world working against you waiting on God. We are a microwave drive-through society. Amazon, higher, faster internet, everything. I mean, everything in our life is designed to make things happen quicker. We don't have to wait on much in life anymore, do we? But God says, that's not how I work. In fact, getting through tests that God brings in our life always, always, always will include waiting. Always. Because God doesn't work on our timetable. He's working out things in us. And so he's working on his timetable. That's why it's imperative for us to learn to trust him, to be able to wait on him and say, God, I, man, if it was up to me, I, this would be finished yesterday, but I trust you. We're not, I'm not going to let myself get into impatience. I'm going to trust you. 
So then the last point, the fourth point about passing the test is preparation. And I'll finish with this. It's important for us to prepare for the test that God's going to bring in our lives. And uh, like I said earlier, the, the test itself is never something, that's not a time for us to learn. That's not a time for us to try to grow during a test. If you take a test in a classroom, it, what, if you haven't learned it by then, you're not going to do well on the test. The time to learn is before the test. It's that time of preparation. Now, don't get me wrong. We not, when I talk about preparation and we're training, we're working hard to, to be able to pass the test. It's not, a, it's not a works mentality. We're not trying to earn favor with God. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to show God how great we are by working hard. What we're doing is we're preparing ourselves. We prepare ourselves in every other aspect of life. Why wouldn't we prepare ourselves in our faith when God's going to test us? We, there's nothing in our life that we don't have to prepare for. You know, and you're never going to be as good at something until you've prepared for it. I, I, I was saying in the early service when I was, I think I was 20, I decided I want to play guitar. I just want to learn how to play guitar. I, I've seen other guys play and I thought it was really cool and, and I wanted to play. And, you know, I just fallen in love with Jesus like two years earlier and really loved worshiping. And, and I thought, man, it'd be great to be able to do it in my worship just by myself in my room, just me and the Lord, you know. So I tried to learn how to play guitar. I bought a guitar and I bought a book that shows you how to learn how to play. And, you know, I sat down on my bed and uh, I remember trying to hold chords and strum and it sounded like somebody was torturing three cats. You know, it was not good at all. And, um, but after about a week of, of practicing for about an hour a day, I could do about three chords. I could play songs that had three chords as long as they weren't bar chords, you know. And uh, after about a month, I could play a few more chords and, and switch and not sound horrible. And after about a year, I was actually pretty decent. And uh, now it didn't come easy for me. I'm not, I'm not like some of these guys up here, like Taylor, you could probably give him a left-handed guitar and he could play it. Just, some people are just really gifted at playing music. That's not me. There's no danger of me being on this band up here. I can promise you that. But I did really get to where I enjoyed playing. I could even play bar chords and I could, I could play songs and, and worship. And I had some really great worship times, just me and the Lord. And, and he forgave my horrible guitar playing. And, um, but I had to train for that. I had, to, I had to work hard to get to where I was good at that. I mean, any job we have, there's always going to be training involved to, 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 uh, to be proficient in what you're doing. It's the same thing with our faith. Like we, it, we, have time, we have training. In fact, let me read in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hmm. So the Bible is here to help train us in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. That's interesting because I don't, I don't, we don't talk about that a whole lot, but we are in training all the time. And I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I, I know that a test is coming soon. In fact, I feel like I'm in one right now in my own life where God's testing me. And I always want to be preparing for the test. And let me tell you, the more you know this, the better you're going to do on the test. Amen. You can't pass the test if you don't know any of the information. And you don't know the information if you're not staying in the word. You have to know the word of God to be able to even know the character of God. You know, an hour, two hours on Sunday morning is not enough. We need to be in the word. We need, this, this thing is good for training in righteousness for each and every one of us. And this is how we learn to pass the test. Now, of course, life experience helps us too. You know, you fail a test once, chances are you're probably not going to fail that test again. Sometimes we do. Some people don't learn. 
I have, I have a couple family members that just don't, can't seem to learn. They keep failing the same test over and over. But for the most part, we try to, after that, we fail the first time, we try to learn our lesson and we try to do better the next time. And we, we do learn from those situations that come into our life. But, but the word of God is here for us to be able to train in righteousness so that we can be equipped. Does anybody here want to be equipped for good works? Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I want. That's a desire of my heart is that I would be equipped to do the work of the Lord that he has called me to in our life. And God, God wants us to pass the test. And it's so important for us to, to be intentional about growing in our maturity to the point that where we actually want to pass the test in a way that will honor him and bring glory to him. And it will also reap benefits for us because it'll make us more like him. Amen. Amen. I'm asking you to stand with me as, as we close this morning or this afternoon now. Uh, if the praise team and the worship team could come and the uh, prayer team. We're going to sing a song just for a couple minutes as we have altar time here. I want to invite you to come to the altar. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, feel free to, to come to somebody that's up here and they'll be happy to pray with you. You can come and find a place at the altar and pray by yourself. I just want to encourage you today. I want to give you a takeaway that I, that I want you to take with you today. And I'm going to make a statement that I, that I believe can, can stick with you. And, and that is that walking into the promise that God has for you in your life is virtually always going to include testing. If you want to walk into the promise that God has for your life, it's going to include testing. That's who he is. That's his character. That's, what, that's, that's how he functions. The, the key for us is to, is to be ready for the test. And also that if, if that test comes and we fail it miserably, to, to not let it derail us, but to, but to be able to receive that grace that God gives us and to be intentional about growing to where the next time that test comes, we can pass the test. We can trust him because the winds and the waves know his name. We can trust him. Now, the good news is, you know, I was saying God is always in the business of glorifying himself. The great news about that is that when God is getting glory, we're getting to reap the benefits of it. You know, in, in Exodus, it says multiple times when God's talking to Moses about delivering them, his, his reasoning in all of it, he says it multiple times, is I'm going to bring myself glory. I'm going to show my glory to the Egyptians, and they're going to know that I'm God. So his purpose for that was to bring glory to himself. The Israelites still got to reap the benefits of it. They got to get through on dry land and escaped slavery. Pretty big deal. And it's the same way when God tests us. It's for his glory, but we get to reap the benefits when he's glorified. And so there is something in it for us, and we can rejoice in that. And it's not, not wrong to want to see the benefits that are going to be implied in our lives as well. That's God's heart for us. He is a good father. And we are, we are who he says we are. We are his children. And we get the benefits of being the, the children of a king. Amen? So we're going to pray. I just want to encourage you to, to come up. I want to pray over us, um, and, then, uh, and then you can feel free. You can come now if you want, but I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have uh, a little, just sing a verse or two of this song, just reminding us that we can trust in our God. So if you guys would pray with me, Lord, we do love you today. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that, Lord, that we can trust you. We can trust who you are and who your character and your track record. And God, I pray that you would help us today as you, as we go through the tests that you may bring into our lives, Lord. God, I pray you help us to recognize those tests. Lord, we want to pass the tests that come our way. And Lord, we trust you that when we fail, that we know that it doesn't derail us, but that we can trust you, that we can walk in your grace and know that there, today is a day, but tomorrow is another day. 
And God, I pray you would help us in that. Help us to have your perspective in every test that we're in, Lord. I know there's a lot of people in this room today that are going through tests. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to walk through these tests in a way that they could pass them. Lord, to come through with flying colors, that they would be more like you, that the genuineness of their faith would be revealed and you would receive honor and glory and praise through their lives and through the tests that you bring into their lives. Help all of us in that, Lord. I pray you'd seal that work in our heart that we would be able to pass the test for your glory, God. We love you and we thank you for it all in the name of Jesus, amen.